I'd like to offer a Dharma talk. Um, usually I don't, I don't give titles to my Dharma talks, but this one happens to have a title. Uh, and, um, and it's called uh, Pain is the World, Love is the World. Pain is the World, Love is the World. And that title comes uh, from an interview I heard a few weeks ago on uh, the Sunday edition um, on CBC. And uh, the interviewer was um, a Mary Link, uh, and she was a guest interviewer, and she was interviewing a British uh, author named Olivia Lang, who has just written a new novel. And, um, and that those two lines were from the end of this uh, new novel called Crudo. Uh, and the first line is, um, was taken, it was a quote from uh, a, a kind of punk writer named Kathy Acker. Uh, she wrote, I think, in the 80s. And, uh, and she, you know, she made the statement, pain is the world. And, um, and Olivia Lang, you know, said, you know, there's, there's truth in that, uh, but it's partial. It's not complete. It's incomplete. And, um, and she said, uh, the, the second part is, love is the world. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> we can, we can feel overwhelmed sometimes by the pain of the world. The pain of the world lives in us from the experiences of our lives. And we can sometimes think, I guess, as that, uh, as Kathy Acker did, that, um, that that's all there is. Um, there's, it's not. And uh, Olivia Lang's point was that we have a choice as to what we're going to nourish in ourselves and in the world, the pain or the love. <clears throat> so there's no denying the pain we, we feel and we see around us. Um, we talked about it this, this morning uh, in our Truth Mandala. And there was a lot of truth speaking about pain, and there was also a lot of truth speaking about wisdom and love. <clears throat> the pain of the world inflict, inflicts more pain. That's the nature of it um, when wisdom is absent. We experience pain, and we want to we meaning human beings. Human beings want to get rid of it and uh, we want to somehow become free of it and when there's when wisdom is absent, when awareness is absent, when love is absent, human beings feel that the way to get rid of it, the way to free themselves of pain, is to inflict it on others. 
and we see a lot of that. Pain perpetuates pain. Parents pass on hurt, neglect, and lack of love that they experienced. And they're trying to find a way to stop the pain and offload it. And it keeps the wheel of suffering turning. It's personal, it's social, and it's universal. And it's driven by unconscious forces that condition our own minds. Lang's point of view that we have a choice to nourish pain or to nourish love is very Buddhist. Uh, I don't know if she is a Buddhist, but uh, it's, it's very much in line with Buddhist teaching. <clears throat> So, the way, there are many, many ways to nourish love and, um, and we're training in that. We're, this is what we're cultivating, nourishing love. Mindfulness is an expression of love. Mindfulness is an expression of connection to ourselves like an expression of acceptance of what is. And so that's, that's ground zero in terms of how do we nourish love in the world is to um, become mindful of what is the pain that's present in our own being and bring love, compassion. Compassion is just a form of love. Um, form of love that we experience or express when pain is present. <clears throat> so that may uh, that may be easier said than done, because there are these sometimes deeply embedded patterns of reactivity. That, uh, that just kind of spring up when they're triggered. Um, in Dharma practice, Dharma practice just, you know, I'm aware that some people not, are not that familiar with um, these words. Dharma simply means um, applying and realizing the Buddhist teachings in our own lives. Dharma practices. So in Dharma practice, we learn to slow down our reactivity. We learn to pay attention. We learn to come to the present moment so that we can begin to recognize and relinquish, let go of our conditioned behaviors. So we need to have that capacity to pay attention to what's happening right now rather than getting drawn into the pattern automatic reactions like like we're programmed you know, in, a, in a way we are it's like we're programmed um, you can feel very automatic <clears throat> and and in that um, in that reactivity there's no place for love 
<clears throat> an example of uh, the, that, that comes to mind from my own life it, is that um, you know our patterns come from our experiences. Our patterns come from our uh, what we've experienced and how we've been conditioned. And um, so, so my husband is um, in personality and in in interests. We're very very different people, um, very different people. And and um, for years, there's been this little dance that we do, a little clash, really. Wouldn't call it a dance. Uh, that. Uh, <laughs> That happens when, you know, we're both, or I'm getting ready to, to go somewhere or do something, and and Richard will say, we'll start, you know, kind of listing things. So do you have your passport? Do you have, you know, this? Do you have that? And so my husband was, for, for years, was a pilot. And not not a commercial pilot, but he was a private pilot. And he, uh, so for him, checklists. It's like, you know, pilot, co-pilot. You know, check, check, check. <laughs> it's like, it was nothing personal. It wasn't. It wasn't anything about you know that I'm incompetent. But but I had an extreme sensitivity, like because. Um, I, in, in many situations in my life, I, I felt I had to kind of fight f to be respected and to be acknowledged as somebody with, uh, with competence and with ca capacities and autonomy. So I always interpreted it as, you know, you think I'm incompetent. You think I don't remember to bring my passport if I'm going? And, and I would get, you know, it's like, yes, I have it. And uh, <laughs> and and then you know he's a very sensitive soul, and he says, "Why are you mad at me?" So anyway, finally, finally one day, <clears throat> we unpacked it, and I said, "You know, when you when you say this, then I I feel like you're you're." Uh, somehow judging me and, and he said no it's not and and I and for the first time you know and this was this is years into our relationship but for the first time I really got where he was coming from and I think he also got where I was coming from and um, so uh, so it was a slowing down it was a willingness to to open up and say, what's going on here? What's going on? And, and what are these conditionings? And, um, and uh, you know, what's arising? And, you know, and can we, can we see each other in a new way without sort of the old layer of interpretation, perception? You know, perception is a way that we interpret things coming out of our conditioning and experiences. So, so 
you know, I was able to bring, instead of just offloading my uh, discomfort, my, my anger, my fear on Richard, you know, I was actually able to, to ask myself to take time and say, what, what actually is going on here, you know, and, and what am I feeling? And, and then there was trust to, to share it. And, um, and, and there was trust for him to hear it. Um, so, so nourishing love in the world, you know, it's just such a small example, uh, such a little example of just a, a little thing that happens in a relationship <coughs> that, um, that can be, uh, addressed with kindness and with interest and with an openness to to understand and to hear the other. <clears throat> so opening to our own pain, opening to the pain of the other uh, is is how is is how we nourish love. And I I think that we we really experienced opening to the pain of the other so uh, magnificently in our Truth Mandala exercise. I'd like to <clears throat> I'd like to read that poem that I forgot to bring or didn't think to bring um, that I had intended to because it's so much better than my very. Um, uh, cursory summary of it. This is a poem um, called On, On Listening, and the, uh, and the poet is Clover Catskill. When we listen, we offer with our attention an opportunity for wholeness. Our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts within the other person, that which has been denied, unloved, devalued by themselves and by others, that which is hidden. In this culture, the soul and the heart too often go homeless. Listening creates a holy silence. When you listen generously to people, they can hear the truth in themselves, often for the first time. And in the silence of listening, you can know yourself in everyone. Eventually, you may be able to hear in everyone and beyond everyone, the unseen singing softly to itself and to you.
So listening is really giving space. Being space, perhaps, is even a better way of expressing it. To receive the other as they are in this moment. Who is a whole new person, perhaps, and who they, who that person was the moment before, or the week before, or the month before. There's a, a Dharma teacher named Susan Piver who wrote a book called The Four Noble Truths of Love. And um, she uses the teachings of the Four Noble Truths to, um, to talk about relationships, especially uh, significant other relationships. And And her, the first truth is that relationships are inherently unstable. Uh, they're always changing. And the second truth is that we create suffering by trying to make permanent what is inherently unstable and impermanent. Since we've been talking so much about Joanna Macy, I'll, I'll tell a little story about her that um, she told at one of her workshops. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I, I've told it very often, maybe some of you who have practiced with me before have heard it. Um, she, when she was uh, a young woman, she was um, in a relationship, a love relationship with a man and they decided that they were going to get married. And, um, and they went to a friend who, uh, who also was a minister. And they, um, they asked this minister to marry them. And, um, and this person, this minister said to them, um, well, my blessing for you right now is, may you always be strangers to each other. That kind of takes you aback, yeah. So, but it, it takes, you know, think about it for a moment, and it's like, yeah, can I not assume that I know who this person is? Can I not assume, can I not put them in a box and, and say, well, that's so-and-so, that's, that's Richard, that's Jane, that's Joe, that's... Uh, Gene, this is a, a dynamic, changing being. We all are dynamic, changing beings, discovering ourselves in each moment. And and uh, when we're fully awake to ourselves, So there are, there are many, many practices um, in, in the Dharma that help us learn how to nourish love toward ourselves and toward others, toward the world. <clears throat> and um, there are some, there's a set of practices called the parami, 
which are sometimes translated as perfections of the heart. And, um, and there, are, there are ten parami. Um, and, uh, and these are um, generosity, I'll just name them because your mind might be curious. What are the ten? I'll name them. Generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, kindness, and equanimity. And it, it was most often when somebody would come to the Buddha and, and say, I'd like to follow the teachings, I'd like to cultivate the Dharma, he would give them the first three to practice before, before he taught meditation, before he taught um, about uh, the Four Noble Truths. He would, he would teach them about generosity and morality or ethics and, uh, and renunciation. And we've talked about morality, about non-harming, and uh, we've talked a little bit about simplicity and, and renunciation and letting go of attachment. And generosity is the first, and, and, in, uh, and in Tibetan Buddhism it's, it's called the mother of all the parami. <clears throat> so, so I mentioned a, a few moments ago that that the um, the parami one translation is that they are perfections of the heart, um, and another, perhaps a bit more poetic translation is that they are the um, the the crossing over the crossing over of the floods. So. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm studying a book by somebody mentioned as Ajahn Suchito uh, earlier, and, and he's written a beautiful book on the parami, which is available online for free if, you, if you're interested. And, um, and he uses this translation. It's the crossing over of the floods to the other shore. And so what are the floods that we're crossing over? What are, what are these floods? So, you know, it's a metaphor. Uh, actually, there have been floods in the, in the news quite a lot these days with climate change, and, uh, and we see these, these uh, pictures of, you know, people and objects being just swept away and um, and so, um, yes, being swept away is a good metaphor uh, for being so overwhelmed, swept away by, by greed, swept away by, by ill will or hatred, um, overcome by the, our reactions to the circumstances of our lives. <clears throat> so... Um, so, so the parami are, are, it's a kind of a, these are a methodology or, a, or tools or a, a kind of a, a, a vehicle or a vessel for, 
for crossing over the floods. So, so we, we can feel so overloaded in our lives that we're, you know, we can feel like overwhelmed and overloaded and, uh, and so, you know, we react by um, just maybe working harder and harder, getting lost in our work, you know, like becoming a workaholic, uh, taking on more and more because maybe we feel overwhelmed or, or this deep need to be somehow to, to be approved of or to achieve something um, or to, uh, uh, to be recognized. You know, maybe this is a deep thirst that we have and so we dive into endless work or, or, or social media. You know, so is, you know, such a, it can be such an addictive thing. Game playing, drugs, um, so we, this is a way that we are trying to escape from difficult feelings, painful feelings, and that we, it's just piling skillful on top of unskillful. It's <coughs> perpetuating the pain, perpetuating the pain in the world, perpetuating the pain in ourselves. And so these, these floods, uh, there's a, a Buddhist um, term called uh, asavas, which is a Pali word, which is translated outflows. And so these outflows are really what's flooding our system, what's sweeping us away. And these outflows are... Um, you know, like underneath all the mental activity, like our minds are just going and going and thinking and getting caught up in past and future and planning and what if and if only I had this then I'd feel okay and, and if only that hadn't happened then my life would have been better uh, and I'd be somebody else than myself who I don't want to be right now. And um, you know, so much, so much lostness uh, that we get caught up in. And these asavas, or outflows, get manifested in our, our mental activity. Uh, they're, they're kind of driving it. And then that mental activity gets manifested in speech. So, so fear, and anger, like going back to my little example, so fear, I'm not being seen, I'm not being recognized, I'm, I'm not being respected, uh, you know, get, gets manifested into uh, a rebuke, uh, a rejection, a pushing ba back. <clears throat> so so these, these outflows are the sensuality, wanting, wanting to grasp onto pleasant, pleasant experiences, food, sex, uh, 
having nice stuff. Um, we think that if I have that, you know, that dress, those shoes, that tchotchka to put in my house. Uh, anybody not know what tchotchka is? <laughs> tchotchka is like an old thing. It's a Yiddish word. <laughs> a little knick-knack. knick-knack, yeah. <laughs> we fill our house with tchotchkas. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that I, it's going to make me feel good, you know, and, and, uh, and I'll be happy. Well, tchotchkes don't make us happy. New pair of shoes don't make us happy. Uh, you know, but there's that lure. I mean, really, it's not that hard to figure out that stuff doesn't make us happy, but we keep getting drawn back into it, you know, again and again. Um, I remember my, when my son, Paul, my younger son, was, was 18. He had wanted a motorcycle for so long, and uh, and he uh, and finally he turned 18 and he had saved money and he got himself a motorcycle. Of course, I was not thrilled. Um, uh, and and um, but then you know it was really interesting to see what happened with that motorcycle because he he thought. It would just, you know, fulfill all his fantasies and would be just this great, you know, unmitigated bliss, right, to have this motorcycle. But, you know, it was money on top of more money and repairs and he needed this part and another part. And, and uh, it, was, it was really interesting to watch, you know. He got kind of... Uh, he still loves motorcycles, but I think, I think it was a great lesson for him to to recognize that it, it wasn't his dream. So stuff, sensuality, so wanting pleasant things and wanting to avoid unpleasant things, wanting to get rid of unpleasant experiences, avoiding unpleasant people, people that we find difficult, uh, denial, going into denial in, in terms of really if a relationship is just not working and we're in denial and we go on and on uh, denying that we need to face this um, difficulty in the relationship. So many examples. The flood of becoming, all these identities that we want to cling to, you know, that um, we want to be a wife, a mother, a father, a professional, uh, a, um, a beautiful person, uh, a desirable person, a, um, a competent person. So it's not, it's not bad to want to become competent and want to become skilled, but it's when we solidify around it you know, we create a self out of it. Like I, now I'm this, really, you know. Uh, now I'm finally respectable. Uh, <laughs> and um, and views. So that that's another 
of the third of the outflows, like these holding to views, um, beliefs, like uh, how much, how, how we identify with certain beliefs, and and just to think how much blood has been spilled over, you know, different religious beliefs, different. Um, beliefs about, you know, political systems, uh, you know, the Protestants versus the Catholics versus the Jews versus the Muslims, and um, you know, I think about, um, like, here in, in Canada we have political differences but like in the U.S., it's like Republicans and Democrats. It's tribal. It's like you know, like they're not even friends with each other most of the time. Sometimes, but <laughs> not not that often. You don't cross tribal lines. These beliefs. Uh, it's um, so so. These things drive us. These are the these are the the flows that drive us, drive our thoughts, drive our speech, and drive our action. And, um, and then, and then the, the, the basic one is ignorance. Just fundamentally not knowing who we truly are. Not knowing you know, we identify with all of these different beliefs and and wants and and uh, and I and I self constructions because we actually want to have some sense of stability. We want to have some sense of you know being grounded in something. And um, but who who we truly are is boundless, and boundlessness uh, is beyond definition. Boundlessness is a boundlessness of heart, a boundlessness of wisdom, a capacity to receive all of life as, as it is. So, so as we pay attention and we discover how the mind can be driven, how, as we discover how we solidify and construct a sense of self, a sense of fixed identity and hold to that uh, and create a fixed identity and fixed construction or definition to others. <clears throat> and as we loosen our grip on those, um, we begin to touch into that openness, which is who we truly are. 
I really wanted to talk about generosity, and I've um, only left myself a few minutes, so I'm going to just because generosity is um, is such a a beautiful quality to cultivate, and it really uh, helps us to see how we uh, how we separate ourselves and hold on in fear and in a kind of grasping to um, to trying to uh, give ourselves some sense of of being enough and having enough and when we consciously cultivate opening our hands opening our heart and 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 being generous um, it shines a light on that, and we really see how much suffering um, that that grasping can cause. <clears throat> it shines a light on that habit of mind that says, me first, and I want the best place. And um, it can be really humbling. You know, if we just say, okay, this month, I'm going to really try to cultivate generosity and, and, and see. You know, you know, how can I be generous? And and it's it's quite humbling to see <laughs> how the mind uh, kind of undercuts. Like there might be a generous thought, and then and then and then the mind comes back and says, No, 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 they wouldn't, they wouldn't even be interested in that. No, no don't don't give them that, or don't do that, or um, so. So in generosity, you know, it, it, has, it has the aim of, of freeing ourselves from grasping. So it, it's something that we're doing as a practice. And it also has the aim of, of um, giving and giving the necessities of life, giving love, giving presence, giving a listening ear, uh, giving space. Um, there are so many ways that we can be generous um, and uh, here in, on retreat we talked about giving the gift of silence to one another um, the gift of non-harming in, uh, in observing the precepts Empathy is a kind of generosity, giving the gift of trying to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and, and really uh, try to understand what they may be feeling. And um, there's one beautiful gift that uh, is talked about in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, at least it's where I heard it, which is giving the gift of non-fear. And this gesture, this picture of the Buddha that's behind me, is the, um, the mudra. <coughs> mudra means gesture of non-fear. So, so it's, it's just uh, that gift of non-fear is, is being with our presence um, a, a gentle, non-harming, non-aggressive uh, presence. And um, 
And so giving that gift of non-fear by, by just creating a space of acceptance and openness um, is something that we can practice. Um, really seeing the other, opening to the other, being interested in this mystery of who is this being. And, um, and, and ultimately, as we share our own wisdom, or it's not our own wisdom, but the innate wisdom which we are connecting with, as we share that in our lives, our wisdom and our compassion, we can perhaps invite those with whom we're in contact into that space of fearlessness and love as well, to abide also in that space of fearlessness and love. <clears throat> and I guess just the last thing that I'd like to, to say about this is, um, and maybe that's, it's to give an absolute view of generosity um, and the absolute view is that is one of non-separation. So, um, so there, there is, on a relative level, like somebody asked a question about giving love, giving metta to others, and then on an ultimate level, it's just love. Um, uh, emanating love um, be being present um, in our lives and it's and in the same way it's generosity is an expression of love in that way and um, and so it's just a flow generosity is a flow of life and uh, and when we try to stop it and hold it we're we're trying to hold on to what can't be grasped uh, and when we allow life to flow, um, we're, we're really in that flow ourselves and recognizing that, that really there is no separation. And that, uh, and that is really uh, nourishing the love in the world. So let's take a minute to just uh, sit rest and breathe for just... Uh, a few moments. In the silence of listening, you can know yourself in everyone. Eventually, you may be, be able to hear in everyone 
and beyond everyone, the unseen singing softly to itself and to you. listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.